Hello, operators, whether you're tier one or tier none, you're welcome here. I was the white motorcycle policeman. Hello, operators, whether you're tier one or tier none, you're welcome here. We are on the tens of dollars road tour, and we are allowed, we're admitted, we are inside the factory. So you can hear some factory noise in the background. You're also going to hear the fan cooling my fat ass off or by because it's Arizona. It's 108 degrees outside. We are in the home of Patriot Ordnance Factory, where some of the finest firearms are assembled, built by some of the finest people I've ever met. And guess what? We've got somebody else in the studio. We've got another willing victim. We've got Thomas Yoxall, photographer. Name sound familiar for those of you lives in Arizona, for those of you that live in Arizona, and for those of you that have the national news, you might know who Thomas is. Today, you're going to know more about Thomas than what you might already know. There's a hundred different ways I can start this, and I don't know which one's going to be right, so we're just going to go with it. Thomas, welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for trusting us. Of thank course, you, Ed. Thank you for coming out and your patience with us. 2017? Yep. January 12th. January 12th. I, I knew you'd remember that. 4.30 in the morning. People who don't live in Arizona don't know that when we have to leave the desert for anything, we like to do that early in the day to avoid any potential mechanical problems or we want to get out of the heat. Just beat the traffic that Beat morning. the traffic. Yeah. And... So you were on your way to, you're a photographer, full-time photographer. Right. Um, writer, author. Not author. I call you an author because you write articles. I have been published. Some of my articles have been published. So I guess you could say I'm a, I'm a published photojournalist. Um, I do it full-time. It's how I make my living. Um, uh, I contract for the Department of Education when schools are actually in session. Um, I do a lot of work within the firearm industry. I'm fortunate. I do content for C2 Tactical. Uh, I've done content for John Korea. Um, I've done some stuff for Scott Jedlinski, um, other instructors um, when I'm asked to, um, which actually works out really good. I've been shooting all my life. So for me, when people say, hey, good day on the range, it's doubly good because I get to do photography and, and I get to shoot. And, you, and you're, you're just proven that you're very humble. Not only do you shoot, you're a great shot. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't go that I've way. sat eating a hot dog and I've watched you shoot. You do three guns still? You do three no, guns? actually, I've never done three guns. I see you carrying three bags. What's in the other two bags? you got a automatic shotgun, I know. You've got some kind of shotgun. Right. So I have my pump and my autoloader, and then I have my two rifles, and then I have my two pistols. Um, so, I mean, I, I have everything I need. Am I proficient in all platforms? Yes. Um, but I've had the privilege of learning from a lot of great instructors. So, um being having some natural ability, but uh, being able to work with people and train with people who are better than me and just really being cognizant and paying attention and practicing that on a continual basis. I tell people all the time, um, just because you take one class does not make you proficient. Um, you need to spend hours upon hours and thousands upon thousands of rounds to be proficient and skilled on any platform. So we take training. He's echoing what we say. We yes. take training and then you do what you practice. Yes. And then you develop some bad habits, and then you have peers who help you, and then you take another class, and then you practice, and you practice. It took over practice. 20 years. Well, I shouldn't say over 20 years. So the running joke is um, after the shooting, and then we'll call it what it was. It was a shooting. It was a use of, use of lethal force. Um, some instructors saw me shoot, and they're like, whoa, 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 you're still shooting modified Weaver. <laughs> we need to get you into the current present day. 
And so the ongoing joke is, is I'm, it's so ingrained in me. Lord forbid I ever have to be in a use of lethal force again. I'll revert back to modified weaver. And even with the isosceles, when I push out, I still don't push out. I, I still kind of camp my body. But you go with what you know. And I've heard some of the best instructors say, look, I'm going to show you how I do it. Doesn't mean it's right. And you're going to take it and you're going to use it. And if you're on target and you're quick and you're good, hey, God bless you. You know, that's that's what we're looking for. And is, that's a good instructor. Yeah. And um, the reason I train with who I train with is they are instructors who also seek instruction. They're not static in their ways. And I think that is brilliant. And I think that shows a person of good character anyways, if you are willing to constantly improve your skill set. This way you can deliver the most current um, and useful skill set to your students. So I think that's really important all around. Um, but yeah, so it was 4.30 in the morning. Um it, I was on my way to Anaheim uh, Disneyland, and no, there was no Disneyland commercial afterward. Hey, you just did that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to Disneyland. Um, so, I mean, and it should be said, and sometimes it gets left out and everything like that. I was I was traveling um, with a companion, Heidi Jones, um, and she was uh, running some marathons at Disneyland. I was actually going to go to Leica in Los Angeles because I shoot Leica rangefinders for my personal work. Um, Anybody who knows Arizona, I-10 and Miller Road, we stop there, quick trip, top off the tank, get some road snacks and stuff, and uh, we get back on I-10, and no sooner do we get on I-10, we see Trooper Ed Anderson get onto I-10 from Interstate 8. And he goes bombing down the freeway, and he's gone. His lights are gone, and, you know, kind of, oh, someone's having a bad morning type thing. So we're driving, time goes by, and we see his lights in the distance, Um that stretch of road undulates anyway, so we could see him, and then they disappear. See him disappear. Well, I noticed that vehicles are moving from the number two lane to the number one lane, and then I noticed this flare pattern. So in my head, I'm thinking accident, debris, we need to slow down. So I slow down. As we get closer, I'm straddling the one lane in the left shoulder. And as we come up to the back of that plat uh, flare pattern, we see Trooper Anderson. He had already been, at this point, we didn't realize he had been shot, but he had already been shot by the suspect. He's on his back, and the suspect is is bludgeoning him. He's he's slamming his head into the asphalt. At that point, you know, I, I look at Heidi. I tell her to call nine one one. And the twenty two, twenty three plus years of training I've had, they take control. So everything's an automated response at that point. I give myself enough distance to go to work. Um, I exit my vehicle in close ready. Um, there was some news article saying that I'd gone back to my vehicle to get my gun, which is false. Um, so I exit in the close ready. So now as I exit my vehicle, I'm in the nine o'clock position. Ed would be in the three o'clock position. And I, I sidestep to the to the left, which would be the 10 o'clock because his headlights are blinding me. Um, and then it's just in my mind, I'm, I'm, I'm moving forward at no time do I stop. But subconsciously, I'm checking off the threats. There's a dead female. She's not a threat. Ed still had his gun holstered. So that's out of the equation. Bad guy has nothing in his hands. That's out of the equation. I see that there's a gun with a slide lock back. That's out of the equation. But the whole time, I'm also thinking I need clear line of fire. I don't want Ed to be in my line of fire. So I'm, I'm coming up into the right shoulder area, drifting around to the 12 o'clock. And at that point, you know, I call out, you know, you know, Trooper, do you need assistance? He gives the affirmative, and I give a direct command to the suspect to stop. The suspect actually tells me to shut up, yeah. which... 
at the time, it doesn't really register, but (laughs) so obviously he hears me. Obviously he's intent on, on still doing at harm, but as soon as he says, shut up, he lifts his hands to strike Ed again. And at that point I just push out. Um, I fired three, four times at the time. I thought I only fired three times, but I fire four times. I'm fortunate enough to get three hits. Um, I end the threat and then immediately go into first responder mode with Ed. Um, Heidi's just getting off the phone with 911. At some point, another uh, civilian had pulled over. Um, everything's done at this point. We're waiting for um, law enforcement to show up. Um, first trooper on the scene was uh, Sergeant uh, Bill Westick. Now, had you made the radio call or was that the other citizen? That, that was the other citizen. Okay. So, I mean, and no offense to him, we're trying to let him know we exactly. got it under control, but he, he got a little excited. And who wouldn't exactly. under those well, circumstances? Well, I'm not faulting him at all. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, Sergeant Westick shows up, and I know in my head, I, I've trained with enough law enforcement, military, range masters, stuff like that, what's going to happen at this point. I had already made sure there's no possibility for another bad guy, so my gun is in the right shoulder. As soon as Sergeant Westick rolls up, he rolls out of his vehicle, he's already slung, and the low ready with his AR, my hands go up, and I start giving him very accurate information. My name is Thomas. This is Trooper Anderson. He has a GSW to the right shoulder. You have dead suspect. You have a dead female approximately 50 feet behind me. Suspect's gun, my gun. Because I want to, one, offer him reassurance, and two, give him control of the scene. Because at that moment, I'm in control of the scene. That's not my responsibility anymore now that he's there. And if you're um, a responsible gun holder, you should be taking notes right now. Well, and that's because of training. So, I mean, it all falls back to that. Um, yeah, so Sergeant Westick. Um, <clears throat> so he did it amazingly well, and... At that point, I mean, you go through so many different things when you're involved in what they refer to um, as a critical dynamic incident. I mean, it's a shooting again. But I experienced the time dilation, the tunnel vision, uh, the auditory exclusion, the whole kit and caboodle. Um, But it did take uh, an extraordinary amount of time because we're at mile marker 89. We're in the middle of nowhere. Um, But, I mean, you blink and then... Everybody was there. Um, you had law enforcement from all different departments. You had first responding units from all different departments um, and areas. And, I mean, it was a circus. To put it mildly, it was a circus. But I'm still, at that point, I'm I'm still in denial. I know what happened. I, I, I know what I did. But I'm really looking at my watch going, if we can get back on the road here pretty quick, I could beat that rush hour traffic. That's, that's really what my mind's focused on. Um and so it's just odd how how subconsciously your mind takes care of itself and in, and in turn is taking care Protecting. of you. Absolutely. Um, so there's, you know, throughout that course of the time, we're on the side of the road. They have a separated its protocol because we're technically at a homicide scene um, and they have to determine was it justifiable or not. Um, they have us in separate vehicles. Everybody was very pleasant. My concern was Heidi and trooper anderson um they had taken me from sergeant westick's vehicle and put me into a first responder vehicle across the street and that was actually at the first time that anybody had tried calling me a hero and i immediately shut him down i wasn't trying to be disrespectful but i shut him down but that was also the first time that i realized that god got involved and there was that coming a full circle with my faith and how powerful a moment that was for me um so i was more than happy to give everything up to the lord and say nope I'm just thankful that he chose me, even though I didn't understand why at that time. Um, he chose me to be his instrument that morning because a very good man got to go back home to his family. The bad guy was stopped. 
and that's a good day for everybody. And what people don't realize, and we, what we want to get to, because when I interview people, I want to get to know them from behind the event, post event. It wasn't you weren't just a guy with a concealed weapons permit who did a lot of training. You're a person who had a life, a normal life, right. with some bumps along the way, right? Like most people, exactly. Childhood not perfect, right? Uh, grandparents who loved you took great care of you. Uh, you got in some trouble along the way at some point. Mm-hmm. I think we've all gotten in trouble. Uh, not all of us have gotten in trouble to the point where we come to the attention of law enforcement. But I'm not. I'm human. I've done some things that if I had gotten caught, I'd be in trouble. Uh, so you got in trouble. I did. Had to go to court. Prosecutor knew that use was probably something you weren't going to do again. That you weren't a risk. Um, made a pretty good deal for you. He did. And, you know, looking back now, I think that, that all things happen for a reason. People and that's why we're talking about the steps reasons. behind, because yeah. these, someone once told you that they thought this was a coincidence. Folks, this is not a coincidence. These are steps that were ordered right. so that he could be at that place at 4.30 right. in the morning so that that good man could go home to his family. Yeah. And people look and say, how did that ever, how did he get there? I have made a mistake. This is... His story, his witness, is to tell you that you can have errors. Absolutely. You can ask for redemption, which for me is, and I'm going to cut ahead because this is important to me, the redemption part. In Arizona at the time, if you were convicted of a felony, even if it was going to be adjudicated to a misdemeanor, after the fact, if you did all the community service and probation, which you did, you had to appeal to the court to have your rights restored, meaning your voting rights and your ability to own, carry, possess a firearm. He's been a gun guy his whole life. So guess what? It's a humbling experience as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. You have to write the judge who convicted you, correct? Right. So I had to write a letter to the court. It's a closed closed court hearing. Um, I also had included a letter for myself, a personal letter. And I asked a couple people um, who knew me for a length of time to write a letter as well. Um, I wanted the judge to see that, hey, yes, you know, I'm, I'm human to error. I, I paid my patents. Um, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a working man. I, you know, people understand and we do make mistakes. Um, it was about a six week process before I got the letter back saying that everything was okay. I was, my rights had been restored. The judgment had actually been vacated. Um, and so after that, when I say things go back to normal, that's all relative. But Post that, I was able to get uh, non-escorted clearance for Sky Harbor Airport, clearance to work in TSA, clearance to work in the customs area, clearance to work at the FBI building. Um, so it wasn't that for a brief period of time, yes, doors were shut, but you you own it, you do what you have to do, and then you move on. And like I at the DPS conference when I came forward, when I finally came forward, um, one of the first things I said because I wanted to get out ahead of it. There's nobody in this room that hasn't made a mistake. Everybody has. And a I remember that. And I, I, I cheer you all the time. But I cheer because that's what that's a powerful message for people to get. Yeah. Um, and so they have to understand that. But of course, the day before, you know, everybody from DPS were talking and, and we're discussing how it's going to go. I straight up told them these mother effers aren't ready for me. <laughs> They're expecting six two blonde hair, blue eyed Johnny football quarterback, college quarterback who looks like the all American hero. Right. I'm going to roll out there. And that people is, are going to shit yeah. themselves is literally what I said. <laughs> and believe um, it or not, that is true. That video is still available on YouTube. You, <laughs> um, you can you can see that. But yeah. It, 
so so the the whole thing itself was very humbling and for me sure that that path that you walk and the choices that you make and and all of it actually coming together full circle for me um because if i looked at it for you know january 12 2017 just two years prior to that it was march of 2015 i woke up one morning and decided i wasn't going to be a plumber anymore i was going to retire and i went back to school and i discovered photography and had i not done that that morning i wouldn't have been there that morning That's right. so you think of all these decisions that you made that drove you to that point um i tell people all the time the person i credit to most for coming back to my faith is my friend chris harrell he's best friend in the world um we just spoke yesterday actually and two days after i meet him i don't know this guy from adam he's like oh by the way my wife and i were wanting to know if you want to go to church with us <laughs> and i literally told him i'll take a hard pass on that yeah. but we can hang out but he was relentless and I appreciate that, though, because he also had that similar story of, hey, I stumbled and fell, but I came back, and here's my redemption, and he was so passionate about it. And so if it wasn't for meeting him, I wouldn't have been able to really come down that road and find somebody who I trusted to bring me back to my place of faith, where I didn't feel guilty. Because for a long time, I didn't even feel I was welcome in the house of the Lord, which was a big problem. Anybody who goes to church and feels that angst, I, I completely appreciate that. And we also see that, you know, the, 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 the church is your soul, but in the shooting community, there's some people who don't feel welcome, don't feel accepted because they don't look the part. Right. And we've got record gun sales these days. Everyone, if you are... Legally allowed to possess a firearm and you bought one, you should be welcome in the community. If somebody doesn't welcome you, shame on them because it, takes, right. it does take all types, colors, creeds to be involved. And, Absolutely. And I'm all for expansion of everybody getting involved. But get training. Oh, absolutely. Let me say well, that what we, say, we say that all the time. Training, then practice. Learn right. those bad habits. Have your friends point them out to right. you. Train some more. Practice some right. more. Um, so... So yeah, so it was, it was, there was just, there's such a large dynamic and so many working parts in that and everything. So at some point, um, you know, they, they shuffle me back across the street and now I'm in a fire engine. And again, you have those realizations. Um, you know, at one point I'm, I'm going, why are my hands sticky? And I look down and I realize I'm, I'm covered in blood, you know, and I can't wash my hands cause they still have to swab them. So now I'm stuck with blood on my hands and now I'm trying not to think about the blood on my hands and you know uh, detective lamb finally comes up to me with dps he's since retired but you know i can't say enough good things about him he treated me very well very respectful um he was very aware of what i had just gone through um so it's not like he had kid gloves on but he certainly by he, he could have been he had a different demeanor towards me than what he did um you know, asked me if I felt comfortable answering questions. He was very honest and said, you don't have to, but we would like to get your statement. In my mind, it was a good shoot. I saved somebody's life. We went back to Buckeye PD. I gave him my statement. Everybody gave their statement. They eventually take us back to the truck. They have to walk us past the body. It's still covered with a yellow tarp. I have grown men coming up to me, crying and hugging me and thanking me. And so now I, I, I close back up again. And... I can tell, so when I do my presentation on this, you know, I include photos from the scene and everything like that. And I let everybody know it's nowhere near Hollywood. So the final shot that I had came up underneath the suspect's throat and quite frankly and bluntly exploded his skull and blood's just hemorrhaging from the entrance wound. And I'm looking at this and 
for a quick second and then it's like, okay, and, and I'm now I'm tending to Ed. Well, when I get back in the truck and I start driving, that's what I'm seeing replay over right. and over my head. And, and I literally go, are you kidding me? As I grip the steering wheel. Um, now, were they keeping you posted on Ed's condition through so, all the, throughout all this or were they not able to talk about that with you? Well, so they did. So they told me that he was going to be fine before I went on my way. And, um, uh, Colonel Milstead, who's since moved on from DPS, but he had phoned me and he said, hey, I just want to give you an update. It's going to be fine. Um, as soon as you get back to town, make sure you reach out to me so we can talk. And, you know, DPS was very good. They took very good care of me. Uh, Annie so Smith. You did, you did go on to Anaheim. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because in my mind, the further away I was, right. the safer I was. Um, How did I, Heidi do? Um, it was a little rough for her. <clears throat> At one point, while we were in Anaheim, I had broke down as I felt I had this overwhelming sense of guilt because she didn't have a choice to be there. And that's what I told her. Now, for me, it was instinctual to stop and assist. That's just who I am. There's no way I would have ever been able to drive past that. Um, but not everybody's like that. And so I felt very guilty because I didn't give her a choice to be injected into that situation. Um and these are the things that we live with. These are the things that we have to heal from and get over with. Um, now, uh, like I said, you know, I came back um, and there's things that people should know if you're going to carry and have that responsibility. You will have good days and everything's fine. You will have bad days. On the way back, the first time I passed a DPS with someone pulled over, the flop sweats, white knuckled on the steering wheel. First time I went back to the shooting range to smell the gunpowder. Um, there was different triggers. Um, and it was some dark days for a while. And then a good friend of mine by the name of James Bird, who's still with Phoenix PD, said, it's never going to be the same. And once you realize it and accept it, then you can move forward and start to heal. But he was worried about me. A lot of my friends were worried about now, me. Had, had DPS offered you any crisis management? They did. So now here's the thing, and I love DPS, and this is not a slant against them. The individual that they hooked me up with for their crisis management was more of a family therapist and I don't feel had proper expertise in PTSD and crisis management, okay? And if you're going to do something like that, that better be your life's work or else you will do more harm than good. Um, I saw that individual four times and on the fourth time I said, you know what, I'm doing good. I'll call you if I need you because it was really messing me up even more. Um, I did some research. Um, I found the lady who I still see today, to this day, I should say, um, out in Scottsdale. And I have actually had, so I've done broadcasts before, let everybody know, PTSD is normal. This is what happens. You're not alone. You're not an oddball. If you can't talk to anybody, talk to me. And I've literally had people reach out. I'll be traveling across the country. Call or message me. Hey, I just saw your broadcast. Someone forwarded it to me. I need help. And I'll talk to them. And I refer them to my gal out in Scottsdale. Good. And all everybody I've referred to, they're still seeing her today. And I just had someone reach out to me and say, dude, I celebrated my year of sobriety and I couldn't have done it without her. Thank you so much. And that warms my heart because through such a tragic incident, I'm able to turn that into a positive and I'm able to help other people through that. And that is an amazing feel. I get goosebumps talking oh, about it. Well. And, it, 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 and it's, it's an not amazing just this feeling. one person. You've had this happen countless times. Yeah. So, I mean... My friend David Laird said it best to me, and I stole the line from him. It's a blessing to be the blessing, you know? And so now, because of this, I'm able to reach and talk to other people and let them know, hey, it's okay. 
you know, it's okay to feel these things. Um, but the courageous thing to do is to be vulnerable and open up and, and, and ask for help. But it's a lot easier when you know you're talking to somebody that can sympathize with you because they've been through it right. um, and isn't going to have that judgment. So, um, you know, sure, it was horrible. <laughs> like I said, some days are better than others, but I wouldn't change it for the world. And if I had to do it again, I would. And some people might not understand that. Um, there were times where people were like, oh, you're so lucky. I, I can't wait to, you know, get tested. You know, I'm like, dude, if yeah. that's your attitude, yeah. you need to get rid of your gun. Exactly. You shouldn't even be caring because you're, you're going to hurt somebody or yourself. That's not the – I would never wish it upon anybody. It is that traumatic of an experience. Um, but I also think back to when I was a child, my old man teaching me how to shoot gun safety and firearms. He said owning a gun is one of the highest responsibilities that you'll ever have next to being a parent is what he compared it to. And he said, if you're going to continue to be a gun owner and you're going to carry, you need to make sure that you are setting a standard and setting an example and always being responsible. And I took that to heart. And that's why I take it so seriously. That's why I've always trained as much as I had um, and still do, um, because you have to, you know, this is. It's a whole lot of responsibility. There's so many things. And people realize, I'm sure that you may have talked about it on the show. Um, I tell people to get off the range. Shooting a target at 21 feet away and climate-controlled, perfect lighting? Yeah, no. When I stepped out of that truck, I was on a 360-degree stage, okay? Zero light because it's 4.30 in the morning on a January. It's 40 degrees because it's January 12th right. in the open desert. If I would have had rain or snow, it would have been the perfect storm. Yeah, it had lights at you. Headlights at me. I had a covered distance. You know, I'm moving yeah, essentially when I shoot. Yeah, so, I mean, again— all that training, all those instructors, you know, I've always thanked um, my good friend, Sean Diango. He was one of the most um, crucial and pivotal pieces to my training puzzle. He's initially the one who saw me in Shooter's World because he was a range master, took me under his wing, introduced me to a lot of good guys and gals. And so if it wasn't for his teachings and he actually getting me started on the right road or keeping me on the right road, who knows what would have happened. Um, but to this day, I credit him for that training savvy that I have. And the community outpouring was fascinating. It was. It was. So there's a lot of things that people don't prepare you for, again. Um, and and I, don't, I don't fault instructors because, again, unless you've been through that, that incident, you don't know how to teach about that incident. So, and, and I find some do even more damage by assuming what's going mm -hmm. to happen and then dictating to you. I, there's an instructor who's very popular who shall not be named, hmm. who tells people, this is going to happen, your body is going to do this, this right. is going... And it's not the same for everyone. No. It might happen at different times, but it's not the same. Right. Um, they're, yeah, the common denominator, but they don't they don't go for everybody. Um, and, it, and if one of those things doesn't happen to you, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. Right. It doesn't mean you're not recovering. It doesn't mean you're not healing. Right. Um, the first time a widow of... Um, law enforcement professional came up to me. I was actually at a gathering uh, I had been invited to and I just got done speaking and I come off stage and people are talking to me. She comes up and she hugs me and she says, I wish somebody was there for my husband like you were there for Ed. And she's crying. There's no way to respond to that. Okay. There's, and that's not in any training manual, any book or anything <laughs> right. like that. You don't know what to do except to look at her and cry as well. Um, I I never lead out, hey, I'm Thomas. I'm the guy who saved this, right. you know. 
I introduce myself as a photojournalist. If people recognize me and they want to ask questions, I'm more than happy to answer because they're curious. But even to this day, I'll get guys from different departments, gals from different departments, even first responders, they'll recognize me. And I just kind of shook my shoulders like, yeah, you know, because, you know, I don't, it's not what defines me. And, and even to this day, when people try to call me a hero, John Correa loves to do it to me all the time. You're a hero. And I got a couple other buddies too. It just, I just do what I do, you know, and, and I don't think it's a bad thing, but at the same time, I don't want people to ever think that to say I'm proud that I was actually, again, Lord put me there. He chose me to do his work. Absolutely. To that is, that is a thing I had the ability and I was able to save a man's life. Not many people can say that, but I also don't look at it as something I should wear on my sleeve and tout about like, and this is no disrespect to the, the statues and the plaques and a lot of different gifts that people gave me. I don't display those. The community even replaced your sidearm too, didn't they? Um, uh, James Smith with Phoenix PD did. He was quick. He was Johnny on the spot with that. Um, and he was actually the first one who took me out and got me back on the range and everything. Um, so, a lot of people the day that the day after that I had had the 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 big reveal. So I'm at Circle K. It's like zero four hundred. I'm getting my cup of coffee, and I got two guys who are like, "We can never do that." Thank you for what you did. And I'm like, "Oh my god, I just want to get out of here." And I know the kids at the Circle K. I go to the Circle K every morning. Oh my god, dude, you're a hero. We saw you on TV. You're never paying for your coffee again, <laughs> you know. And I and I get to work. At that time, I had taken um a, a job as a maintenance supervisor while I was still going to school. Um, and my office was in the basement, so I was hiding in the basement because nobody there knew. But now they did. So the general manager gets there and he calls me upstairs, and so I'm walking up the stairs in the front. <laughs> This guy, his name's Ted, retired judge, is holding up the front page. <laughs> Thomas, oh my God, you know. The residents put cards in my box. So, I mean, it was very nice. But then, you know, later on that morning, I was having a, a breakfast meeting and all eyes are on me. And it just took one waitress there. Again, place I go to all the time, came up and hugged me and she was crying. And then, of course, everybody wanted to pay for it. Some of the best advice I got from James Smith was people are going to want to thank you. They're going to have questions. Give them grace because they just don't know. And right. They're curious. And so I always had that playing in my head as much as I'd want to run away or um, were in times where I thought I'd lose my composure because it was so overwhelming. Again, time and a place for that um, because I didn't want anybody to get the wrong idea. Um, and again, it's just, it's something that happened in my life and I don't feel it defines me. It's part of who I am. Again, I would never, I would never allow someone to be victimized by anybody to my own peril. I mean, right. Had my ass kicked before stepping in for somebody who was smaller, and I took the pounding from the big guy. Um, but it is part of my life, and it's always going to be there. And I, it, my biggest wish is when people would, when they want to talk about it, they they want to actually hear the story, not just the snippets. Exactly, because you can't just take little cuts and excerpts and get the full picture. There's a reason when I do my presentation, I call it the pre-fight, the fight, and the post-fight. You have to know who I am and where I came from to understand how I got there and then that road to recovery afterwards. Um, and so it's it's the trifecta. But I understand. You you know, meet someone for five minutes, they just want the, the down and dirty broad strokes of it. And they want to get that picture. They want that photo. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm still amazed when people want to get their picture taken. I'm like, me? Who am I? You know, I just, I'm a photographer, you know, at the, at the end of the day, I'm a photographer, you know, I'm, I'm still a father. I'm still a grandson, you know, um, I wear a lot of different coats, but, um, so yeah, so for me, it's, so it's, it's pre, uh, go through those three, the, the titles again, the pre fight, right, the pre, fight pre, and the post fight and the post fight. We've talked about the recovery. We've right. talked about the folks. If you haven't seen this gentleman's photography, you need to go on Facebook, Instagram. We're going to get him on a YouTube channel as well. Uh, for that brief period of time when I was around the White House, I learned, and you'll notice White House photographers use black and white because it imparts uh, historic meaning to it. Thomas uses monochrome, but guess what, folks? They don't all use film anymore. You know, I'm a little old. He has a black and white digital camera. Uh, when he posts a picture, you get a story. I want to call him Arizona's modern-day philosopher. If we had a poet laureate, uh, and, you know, you may not know I'm the child of hippies, so in the 70s and 80s I was exposed to Est and all these mind-expanding things. And, you know, nowadays we've got 30-second sound clips, and Thomas is in New York. He's trying to track him down. It's always fun. I was like, do I call him? Because is he in New York? Is he in New Orleans? He's a regular fixture in New Orleans, New York, and most recently the protest here in Phoenix. I love portraiture, and I love portraits. Over the years, Thomas has taken lot, in Vegas too, well, everywhere. He's taking pictures everywhere. If they have daylight or moonlight, he's taking a picture there. But he takes portraitures. But he doesn't just take the picture. He meets the person and talks to him. Everyday folks don't want that. They're nervous. Everyday folks have got an agenda. So you end up taking, for the most part, homeless people. Homeless and indigenous people. Homeless yeah. and indigenous people's pictures. And, and the one I love... And then weren't homeless into the couple who had been together 60 years. Yes. You said you heard them coming before you saw them. So there's that a, was in New York. That was last year at the Tour de Force. So you'd spend some time, follow him, get into these pictures and look at them, read these captions. It's just, it's powerful. It's moving. Uh, his calling is not just a photographer. I know he doesn't like to say publish, but you are, you write articles, uh, you write excellent prose. Uh, you make my Instagram captions look like those of a three-year-old, which I don't mean to insult any three-year-olds watching. But in-depth, uh, when you talk about cameras, I get nervous because there's no film. And you're really technical, but you know how to operate that just like you know how to operate your handgun. Do you make money on photography? I you, do when I'm lucky. <laughs> so I think... That's uh, for all of you aspiring photographers right. out there who have a great talent and a great art... And I don't want you, I want you guys to make money, and I don't want your estate to make money when you become famous after you pass away. But right. Um, so I'm fortunate. Um, I have I've done contract work and uh, grant work for the Department of Education, um, which right now, because of what we're in the midst of with COVID, that went the way of the dodo back in March. Um, I do content for C2 Tactical. Um, I have been doing content for them for the last two years. So if you see something on their site that's good. That's my work. And if it's not good, it was somebody <laughs> else. No. Um, uh, I do freelance work um, for a, a bit of time. I was contributing regularly to KTR News. I've had some other media outlets um, option to reprint some of my photos and my writing. Um, I do work for instructors. Uh, now, you, you, <clears throat> instructors in Arizona, you know, you guys all, and I do sponsor uh, instructors and I'm willing to sponsor. You guys who come out here anytime after April 2nd, it's too freaking hot. Yeah. If you watch these photographers out there, if these guys are running stages, 
Thomas is running laps around them while they're running stages. I love to shoot, brother, but you are a machine on the range. If you're shooting a stage for one of your contracted shooters, how many pictures do you take? So typically, uh, I have my camera set up for a high burst rate. So whether they're doing pistol, rifle, or shotgun, uh, when that beeper goes off and I hit the shutter button, it's anywhere from 70 to 90 images just for that one shoot. So that being said, whether it's, you know, they finish up in 10 seconds or 21 seconds, sometimes I got to let off the shutter and let that buffer clear and kind of feather it if you're a photographer, you know what I'm talking about. Um, so if you take one shooter and let's say 75 images for each shooter, and in the course of the day, I've photographed 50 shooters, you can do the math. It's a lot of images. It's not uncommon for a full day of a three gun match um, that I have 10,000 images to sift through. So is your Dropbox bill like 13000 a month? It's <laughs> not because I'm very picky and a lot of local shooters and some of them have waited months to get one image of themselves because I'm so picky about what I edit. So that 10,000 at the end, the yield might be 50 to 70 images just because I'm looking for facial expression, brass, muzzle flash, uh, the way the smoke's coming from the gun, the way the shell's ejecting from the gun. There's so many different um, variables that I, you know, and sometimes it's the simplest candid picture on the range. Um, I got this great one. He's always down at Rio and he smokes a cigar and he actually smoked the cigar and he shoots and he just happened to turn just, and I was there and he had this big smile on his face just because he was talking to somebody and that, that was the image of the night because it was just so natural and, and lucid you i couldn't have asked for anything better um so yeah so on the range it's it's all about now when i'm in the street i'm very more deliberate um i take the time to talk to a person and once i i see their body language change and their demeanor change um i hear their voice relax i know now it's time hey do you mind if i take a photo and even then i wait and i wait and then I take that image and sure I'll take, you know, five or six just so I can kind of see which one, you know, that subtle nuance again, the eyes, the mouth, everything. Um, but I could spend a week in new Orleans and only take 200 photos where a day on the range. Well, I'll give you an example. So last year, the tour de force, right. the, the image that you like so much, the older couple in New York, that was 22,000 images Whoa! over the course of a five day ride. Um, so that was a whole lot to go through. But you also have 300 riders um, that are with law enforcement from across the country. You have 200 people with the support crews. I'm in the back of a Ford F-150 with my friend Diane Pontius. who's a photographer from, from Connecticut. I call her my sister from another mister. And, man, I'm just I'm blasting away, you know. But wow. these guys and gals, when they see those images, when it's done, see, and that's where the juice is for me. A lot of the people I talk to on the street and I get their images in monochrome – you know, most of these people don't have social media. They don't have Instagram. So I can never share that gift that they've given to me. But I've also had lots of them say, thank you for talking to me. It's been so long since someone's treated me like a person. And so that means a lot to me. Um, for that brief moment, I give them a chance to realize that they're loved, that they're cared for, um, and that there's hope, you know, that not all people are bad. And just to kind of keep your chin up, you know. Um, so, again, it's a blessing to be the blessing. And then I hope with some of the stories that I write that people see that and they realize that. And where do we find your stories? So um, the biggest body of my work can be found on Instagram. And it's sure 
shot photo and it's sure underscore shot photo um if you're looking to see my gun industry stuff the three gun match stuff uh, anything related to firearms it's going to be sure shot productions all one word or you could just go to my facebook and follow me at thomas yoxel and everything eventually goes there like i never post where i'm eating i'm doing this or that if it's not content related it's not on my page and you can buy things from thomas and I learned just yesterday how you go about that. I, for some reason, had had a dream or something, probably from some pizza I ate, that there was a sales site. But there's not. If you see something on any of those platforms that you like. Right. So you can actually also go to my web gallery, which is sureshotphotography.org. Um, all my images are for sale. The caveat to that is I've had some people reach out and say, oh, I just want it printed by an 8 by 10 Yeah, no. So the native resolution is typically um, 26 uh, by 17 um, or larger, depending on if there was a crop or not. Um, they're printed on acrylic, metal, or traditional paper, silver tone paper. Um, I have a gentleman here locally who does amazing work. He's the only person I use. So if you would like to purchase a print, just let me know which one you like. Let me know what medium you'd like it printed on. I can get you a quote usually within 48 hours. Um, and people that are local... I deliver it to you, you know, hand deliver it. I've done that before. If you're somewhere in the country, um, I always tell people it's $25 for shipping anywhere in the continent of the United States because I know the owner of my local uh, U.S. post box place right, type right. thing. Um, but I have never had a customer that's received a damaged image. This The guy I use for shipping is, is amazing, and that's why I pay what I pay because I want to make sure that my customer gets the product that they wanted. If I'm a church group, a youth leader, or... An agency that wants to talk about civilians helping out and civilians involved and what that happens like. I know you have a presentation. I do. do. Uh, can they also reach you through the same medium? Yes. So um, it's always best to um, reach me because I'm not going to actually give up my phone number. I right. get a bunch of crazies. You, know, yeah, you made that mistake. You gave me your number. Yeah, you, and true. I know you regret that no, already. No. Um, so, yeah, you can typically Facebook is the best way. Facebook Messenger. Now, if I don't answer you right away, it's because I'm not an aficionado of social media. Sometimes I don't realize that there's a pending message from somebody new. Give me a little grace on that. Um, but I tell typically everybody that I'm available. It's just whether or not I'm in town. Right. Um, so I think I believe all things can be scheduled. But you will I travel have, if, 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 you, if asked. Oh, yeah. No, I'll travel anywhere you want me to. I've been down to Brazil with John Korea to MagTech. So, I mean, I'll go wherever, wherever the job is. Um, I have hundreds and hundreds of hours of ride-along experience with a bunch of different departments. I'm doing a lot of work right now with El Mirage PD, which is great. So if you are local law enforcement and you want me to come out and do a great expose on your department, just reach out to me and let me know. I have canine interdiction experience. I have SWAT experience, um, regular run-of-the-mill patrol officer experience. I've been involved in high-speed pursuits, <laughs> drug busts, prisoner transport, you name it. Um DUI task force, I've done it all. Actually, one of my, um, what I felt was, um, profound images from deep, one of the DPS, uh, we happened to get there right as the motor pulled the gentleman over. It was a single vehicle collision. He wasn't hurt. Nobody else was hurt. Thank God. But the series is of him, you know, out of the vehicle doing the test, the breathalyzer and everything. And so that five image series, the five images from start to finish, it was, it was amazing. Again, all monochrome. 
um, you know, and um, some people will be like, oh, you're violating their privacy. Well, okay, so technically I'm not. Believe right. me, I know the laws of what I can and cannot do and everything like that. Um, so it's it's a lot of fun. I enjoy it. But it also – so I'm pro-law enforcement. I did a broadcast the other day where I said there's two flags that fly in front of my house, the American flag and the blue line flag. That's it, you know, and, and I expect – equal out of both right okay i have expectations um but the amount of time that i have spent with law enforcement professionals across the country not only riding with them but associating with them i have a very unique perspective as a civilian on on what they deal with um i could tell you the first time i was at a multiple vehicle collision where there was a fatality and I'm watching a first responder lie to the husband because the family's dead. That's horrible. I never want to experience that again. That's just what they do, you know, a dozen times a year, you know, more than what we realize. This stuff doesn't make TV. So a lot of times when, because I know a lot of people from various, you know, spectrum and the political spectrum, sometimes it's hard for me to have articulate logical discussion with them because you know they're they're very here and if it's not this then you must be wrong and i try to let them know guys it it's the last time you've been in a police cruiser well i never have i've never done a ride all of you can't really talk then can you you know and, <laughs> and and some people i've had people my conservative friends reach out to me and go oh what are you a liberal now why because i chose to write a truthful narrative on an image or you know a story my liberal friends, oh, I didn't realize you were alt-right now. Why? Because I gave a, you know, an interpretation of what I witnessed, a very accurate interpretation of what I witnessed. You know, I've got the You're not alone. Again, we're you know? all getting that. We're yeah, all getting so, that these days. So I think it's interesting. And one of the things I had said a couple of weeks ago, um, I thanked everybody who chooses to follow me because it is a choice to follow me, to follow my work and everything for trusting me to bring them a truthful narrative. It may not be the popular narrative, but there's one version of the truth. That's it. And even your even your writing style is a work of art. It's something. <laughs> now, what you guys didn't see is before we started, I slipped him a fifty and a no, gift and, card to the. <laughs> everybody <laughs> knows that I fifty dollars does get nowhere with me. You can't maintain this size on just $50. You say Shake Shack? I, I, I get fat shamed by those people at Shake Shack when I go there. Oh, Lord. So this has been fun. It's been amazing. I, Thank you so uh, much uh, for I the opportunity. I hope it touches somebody. Thank you for trusting us and spending a, your day with us. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, this is probably the perfect time to reach down and hit that like button. Also, the subscribe button. Why don't I go crazy and just hit the notification button as well? For those of you listening on audio, I really want to appreciate it. If you've got small kids, friends, libraries open in your community, go in there, download this podcast to every device there. When the stores add their phones back, go in there and download it to everybody. I appreciate your time. I really appreciate your time, Thomas. Oh, I look forward pleasure. to seeing you behind the lens, on the range, and probably sharing this seat with me again real soon when oh, we've I got somebody so. else with us. To help me take the heat off. Absolutely. Thank you again. No, thank you. Any last and words? Um, everybody, like I said, train, 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 you know, um, I always go say that, you know, firearm manipulation is a diminishing skill, which people say all the time, but it is so imperative that if you are going to take on that responsibility as a gun owner, that you do not perpetuate the stereotypes and myths of gun owners. And by doing that, being responsible and, and getting adequate training on a regular basis from qualified instructors competent instructors um then you should 
Maybe think twice about owning a gun. Be kind to yourself and others. And God bless. God bless. Perfect. Thank you.